In the small town of Cottage City, Maryland, there lived a boy named Robbie Mannheim. Robbie was born on June 1, 1935, and was the only child born to German Lutheran Christian parents. Robbie had a seemingly normal childhood. He enjoyed comic books and he listened to the radio, but because he was an only child, he often depended on the adults in his life to entertain and play with him. One of Robbie's best friends was his Aunt Harriet. Harriet was a spiritual medium, and most of their playdates involved Harriet teaching Robbie about spiritualism and her means of communicating to those beyond the veil. Harriet taught Robbie how to use a spiritual talking board, or as we commonly know it as today, a Ouija board. Robbie immediately took an interest in the Ouija board. Even without the supervision of his aunt, Robbie would spend time alone in his room practicing with the board. On the evening of January 15, 1949, Robbie's parents left him alone with his grandmother. That night, the sound of a dripping faucet echoed through the home, despite all of the faucets being found to not be leaking. In their search for the leaking, Robbie and his grandmother both noticed that a painting of Jesus Christ hanging on the wall began to shake. When Robbie's parents returned home that night, the dripping noise had been replaced with knocking and scratching within the walls and the floors. Despite Robbie's father pulling up floorboards to locate the source of the sounds, a source could not be located. Eleven days after the strange noises had started, the family received news that Robbie's beloved Aunt Harriet had passed away at her home in St. Louis. In his grief and his desperation, Robbie made the decision to try to contact his deceased aunt in the way that she had taught him to, with a Ouija board. After failing to receive a response from his aunt after multiple attempts at communication, the strange occurrences in the home and surrounding Robbie increased significantly. The sound of squeaking shoes and marching feet filled the hallways. Furniture moved and shook on its own, and objects would float and levitate around the home. Suspicions of possession began when blessed items and symbols of faith would be placed near Robbie and would smash to the ground without being touched. Scratches and wounds appeared on Robbie's body. The paranormal activity even bled into the town as 48 of Robbie's classmates witnessed Robbie's school desk lurching and banging into other students' desks. After receiving no answers from medical or psychiatric professionals, the distraught family turned to the church. Lutheran clergyman, Reverend Luther Miles Scholes, hosted Robbie on the night of February 17th in his home for observation. Robbie slept in a separate bed next to Scholes. The Reverend reported hearing shaking sounds from Robbie's bed, as well as scratching noises on the walls. He also witnessed furniture moving around the room. Due to his observation, he concluded that an exorcism was necessary to save Robbie's life and his soul. After attempting a Lutheran rite of exorcism on Robbie and failing, his case was transferred into the hands of Edward Hughes, a Roman Catholic priest that would attempt a second exorcism. During this second exorcism, Robbie wounded the priest so badly that the exorcism came to a halt so that the priest could seek medical attention and get stitches. Robbie was sent home after an uncompleted exorcism 
only to fall victim to worsening assaults on himself and those around him. While at home with his family, his parents heard him scream from his bedroom. They raced in to observe what could have caused this, and they saw the words, St. Louis, written on Robbie's chest in blood. They took that as a sign to get Robbie to St. Louis as soon as possible, the same place where his Aunt Harriet had died. When the family arrived in St. Louis, the final exorcism was to be overseen by three people. Reverend William Bowdern would be in charge of the exorcism after he and an associate witnessed Robbie's severe aversion to anything sacred, the boy's shaking bed, flying objects, and a demonic voice coming from Robbie. Reverend Walter Holleran and Reverend William Van Roo joined to aid in the exorcism and the documentation of Robbie Mannheim. During the exorcism, Robbie spat in the eyes of all the priests despite his eyes being closed. Robbie's bed shook violently. Holy water soared through the air away from the boy. Words such as evil and hell appeared on the 14-year-old's body. Robbie even broke Reverend Holleran's nose, all of this while speaking in a multi-toned voice. The demon within Robbie vowed to only depart if Robbie uttered the proper words. After much coaxing from the priests, Robbie finally uttered, Christus Domini, translating to Christ Lord. And with a noise similar to that of a shotgun, Robbie, shaking, muttered, It's over. It's over. The room was then sealed off so that none could ever enter it again. After the exorcism, Robbie and his family returned to a quiet, benign home. Robbie grew up to be a successful and happy family man with no memory of the possession or his exorcism. Years later, an author by the name of William Peter Blotty read about the case of Robbie Mannheim. In 1971, his novel based on Robbie's terror was released under the iconic name the Exorcist. My name is Amanda. And I'm Kristen. And we are the Exorcisters. So sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. Welcome to episode two. In this episode, we are going to dive into the world of William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. But before we do, we just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of our family, friends, and our new listeners that showed so much support for episode one. We are overwhelmed by the amount of shares and streams we've already gotten, and this is a, a love project of Kristen and me. Absolutely. We are putting a lot of time and passion and research into this, so we hope that you guys enjoy it, and if there's anything that you ever want to hear from us or... Any comments you have, we would love to hear it. We are now available on iTunes, as well as Spotify, Pocket Casts, Podbean. So if you have any of those, check us out. We are also available on our website at www.exorcisters.com. So as you just heard the spooky little story of that exorcism that I just told, that was a true story. That is what William Peter Blatty 
based the exorcist on. He actually, there were the three priests that did the exorcism of Robbie, or as you might find him online as Roland Doe. One of their jobs was to solely just document what was happening. And that is how William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist novel and the movie stayed pretty close to the actual true events. He actually found the priest, got the notes, and the family knew he was doing it. They just requested that he change the main character to a female so that it would be more difficult for Robbie to be outed, basically. I mean, it was already a, a story in their community. It, it hit headlines. So as you can imagine, as a parent, you want your child after experiencing something so traumatic to be left out of that. So yeah, absolutely. that's instead of Robbie, we have Reagan. So in some of our research, I actually found out while reading the book that William Peter Blatty was actually a humorist and he didn't feel that his books were getting enough traction. So he decided to do something just gruesome and horrifying. Well, he really hit the mark. I've had such a, it's been a really fun week, but it's also been very like high stress because of how I feel about these movies. Like I talked about in episode one, The Exorcist really gets to me. And this whole week of The Exorcist, The Exorcist 2, The Exorcist 3, we've watched the series, you read the book, mm-hmm. and I read some things over your shoulder that I didn't appreciate. <laughs> so, you know, it's been... Uh, it's been a fun week, but it's been very, it's been a spooky week. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get my week in return eventually, but I'm yeah. with you. I watched, I put it off so long, I watched The Exorcist 2 and The Exorcist 3 back to back last night. I didn't even start the third one until 9 <laughs> o'clock, so it's it's fresh. But The Exorcist, I mean, it, it came out in 1973, mm-hmm. based on the 1971 book novel, mm-hmm. yes, and the response it got was obviously incredible for a reason. It's gruesome and spooky. So what did you find out kind of that linked the book to the movie? I know they stayed pretty true because William Peter Blatty did the script. Yeah, because of him doing the script, he it's almost exactly the same. A lot of even the dialogue is exactly the same. The big things that you don't know in the movie, it's easier to find out in the book, which was great because you don't have to deal with all the underlying stuff. You're actually reading it from the character's point of view of how they're thinking in that moment. You don't have to figure it out in the movie as it's happening. Right. There were a couple things, though, that didn't happen in the book that they actually added to the the movie, which made it spookier. I remember you telling me some things on some character plot points that... Made it, made it better to understand or easier to yes, understand. Yes, absolutely. So there's a character, Carl, in the movie, yeah. and he, I think he's seen maybe once or twice in the movie, honestly. He's just the handyman yeah, that's I mean, in it. He just kind of helps Chris out every now and then. Yeah. The mom, yeah. In the book, it's way more important. It In the book, William Peter Blatty tries to make you think basically that... Carl is the one that's bringing this demon. He talks about black masses and summoning demons and things like that, and everything is revolving around Carl. So you're led to believe that he's the one doing this, causing Reagan this pain. Does it mention why, or is he just kind of like a spooky underlying... It doesn't ever mention why. Mm -hmm. They come back, he redid the book, and he added a few more scenes later on, and later on he added a scene where Carl is actually disappearing at odd times to go visit his daughter. So I think that's supposed to help you think he's not the bad guy, 
but yeah. they never really answer if he is or not. Interesting. Because, yeah, in the movie, he's just kind of wandering around, helping Chris out, carrying Reagan from the car to her room. Right. Or... Yeah, he's not a big character. Yeah, no. He's a really big character in the book. Is Sharon still? Sharon the actually is assistant? less of a character. She's huh. just the assistant. That's a damn good assistant. If my boss's kid or boss or whomever was possessed by a demon and looked that disgusting and that shit was happening, I would quit my job. And run away? Oh, like, for far sure. far away. <laughs> Sharon should have gotten a raise. Yeah. I, I hope she only did. Only a raise, right? No, way more than that. Yeah. That's crazy. I would never put up with that. Me neither. She get royalties in all of Chris's movies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there are things also that William Peter Blatty does that's really smart and it's a lot easier to figure out in the book than it is in the show. You you see from Karis' point of view, oftentimes in the movie, that he's doubting. And there's reasons he's doubting. Mm-hmm. Reagan, you know, could have heard cussing from her mother, and that's where she's learning this foul language and things like that. In the book, it's even more prominent because you really find out that Reagan's father, his name is Howard. And then you have Captain Howdy. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just kind of thought Captain Howdy was... I don't know, just one of those random things that they made to be, you know, a kid's not going to be afraid of Captain Howdy, but that makes sense if, if, if the demon was trying to make some illusion, because obviously in the movie, and I don't know about the book, she was pining after her father, wanting to call him and, and see him on her birthday and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe if the demon, because we talked about in episode one, how you can be targeted with your family Absolutely. If they've passed or if you're pining for them or whatever it may be. So it makes sense that the demon would want to use that some sort of like connection and comfort for her. Absolutely. Talk to me. I'll be that kind of father male figure, which is disgusting. But yeah, there, there were a lot of things in the book that he really made you question sometimes. Even knowing that you've seen the movie and knowing that she is possessed and this is happening, you as the reader are still going... Is it really, though? Maybe she is acting. I mean, there's a book about demonology in their house. Maybe she read it. Maybe she's malingering. Exactly. Yeah. So they actually, and I will say, I, I, I enjoyed the book, but there was a lot of times where Karis was going back and forth way too much. It like was Like, we get it. He's questioning yes. everything. Like, every other scene, he's back at their house going, she is possessed. And then he goes back to his apartment, and no, she's not, she's not, she's not. And it, it happens for, I want to say, 100 pages of the book almost. It, it's way too much, yeah. I think, personally. Right. It was still a very good book, but we kind of got the point 50 pages in. Right, yeah. Well, and I think on the basis of him questioning, I could see it. Uh, even, you know, the Catholic, you're Catholic, so you would know mm-hmm. more about this than I than I would, but it seems like all the movies and books and kind of portray exorcism even in the within the Catholic faith as taboo. Like, absolutely, that's not real. It's especially when, you know, especially in the '70s. At that point, in the '60s, and even in the case of Robbie in the 1940s, there mm-hmm. was psychiatric consideration. So it's hard to say because our brains are very powerful and can do a lot of Absolutely. a lot of things. So it makes sense as to why he would question it so much. But I agree. I remember you reading it and looking at me like, dude, yeah. there's more of this. There, there were even times where she's doing, you know, he's talking about telekinesis, that she's doing this. And instead of going, oh, she's possessed, that's how it's happening. Mm-hmm. He's going with, oh, brains are powerful instruments that can totally do this. Yeah. 
I mean, whether they can or not, you've seen all these things at this point. Right. Maybe just believe she's possessed. Absolutely. And especially if you're going in and, and I'm again, I'm speaking from a movie perspective, but she's opening drawers. Yes. And she's, I don't care how well versed somebody is in the English language, talking backwards. Yes. Is that... That's well, just... that, that is in the book. That is the one thing that ends it, and that's what makes him finally believe in her. So oh, okay. So, yeah. But the opening drawers thing, he tries, but they didn't have recording there. They just had audio. Yeah. So you, he was having, he wanted the priests to hear it, and they heard the drawer open, and then when he tried to get the demon to explain that he opened the drawer, the demon ignored him and kept yeah. moving on. Right. So that, he believed the drawer opening thing, but he couldn't prove it at that point. Yeah, well, I don't know. I really love the character of Karis. I think that to have a priest going blindly and be like, yep, it, this is for sure a demon, let's do it, is not giving enough credit to the actual exorcism itself. Because you had Marin, who mm-hmm. has done it before, but then you have Karis, who is coming from like a psychiatric you know, standpoint and yeah. still believing that she is possessed... I, I just really like his character, and I like how strong he is. I like how strong all the priests in this movie are. In Exorcist 2, we'll talk about in a minute, there's a priest that's just, I mean, just stood there and let something horrible happen and was too terrified to do anything. But you've got these two priests that really were very brave, and I'd bail. Well, the point that I really liked about Karis, because I agree with you, he is amazing, but he is required to find faith in what he's seen. Mm-hmm. And he's actually lost his faith in the church. Yeah. So Regan, who is possessed at this point, and Chris, her mother, are forced to try and gain his faith back because they need his support through the church. It's the Catch-22. Yeah. So this was the first movie of its kind. This really paved the way for possession movies. And because of that and it was such a the release was so hyped i mean there were people wrapped around buildings to see this movie Mm -hmm. i wish i always think you know to be alive in the late 60s and Mm -hmm. 70s for horror well there was actually so much hype that it was the first horror movie ever nominated for best picture which is amazing because horror movies get snubbed all the time. Yep, and Linda Blair was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and there was a lot of controversy over it, which I think is ridiculous, because of the voice acting. I mean, she still acted it out, but Absolutely. people were upset that she was even nominated because it wasn't her demon voice. Right, it was a different actress. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you wouldn't know it, though, watching the film her her mouthing of everything is perfect she was incredible and for her to be i think this was her first film ever it was she had only acted in school plays before that point that's amazing and also you found out too i had heard that this movie messed her up no it hadn't so that was actually a gossip columnist had decided to just like get you know views for her paper she said it negatively affected her and that she was in a mental hospital for it. And actually, she was an honor student who was in high school and getting ready to graduate. Very well adjusted. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would be in a mental hospital if I ever saw myself like that. So kudos to her. Right. She now, she is awesome. She even has a, like, animal rescue out in California. She does. Isn't it just for pit bulls? No. I think she does more than that, but I think she definitely, I know she loves pits and she, mm-hmm. and I love that because I have a little pit. <laughs> She's a little baby, but she, yeah, very well adjusted and incredible. I'm surprised she didn't have a more dynamic career. Not to say her career wasn't great, mm-hmm. but I'm surprised she didn't take off more than she did because 
this acting skills she displayed as a 13-year-old. Yeah, they were absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I heard, too, that the cast and crew were very protective of her. They oh, knew, really? Yeah, they knew this was a very sensitive subject, and they knew the script was very... I mean, she has to say horrible things. Oh, were they, like, asking her if she was okay? Yeah, just constantly oh, awesome. asking if she was okay and, you know, out of character. Apparently, she was the sweetest. It's interesting because the Reagan, before she gets possessed, you can tell she's just innocent and mm-hmm. sweet and kind and gentle. That was pretty much Linda Blair, who she was as mm-hmm. a person. And so the director especially, because he was so hard on everyone during this, uh, this movie took over a year to make, which is, or about a year, which is a long time for a movie. But the director was so hard on everyone that he had a very gentle, you know, making sure his star was okay. That's good. I know he was a little crazy. Like he punched Father Dyer to make sure he cried (laughs) at the end of the movie. And which by the way, he was a real priest. Father Dyer. Most of the priests in it, except for Karis, were real. And that's one of those things that I think makes the movie great. It wasn't just an author. It, they had real people with real experience in their fields Absolutely. in the movie. The doctors, they were all real, and he told them literally to go about your day. Do exactly what you're going to do to Reagan. Yeah. Diagnose the way you mm-hmm. would normally diagnose. Consult the way you'd normally consult. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think th- there's... Now there are so many that are just acting which is fine, but there's a lot of movies that don't even go out and get into these professions and ask for advice or direction. Yeah, they just go ahead and do it. Whereas, you know, this movie had priests and doctors, and I mean, Ellen Bernstein as an actress, you know, that's yeah, it was a really good choice. Uh, the filming of this movie, there's a lot of stuff surrounding that. So there was some deaths of crew members. So shooting actually too was delayed after the set caught on fire. And it was the McNeil's home that caught on fire. And the only portion of the McNeil home on the set that was unscathed was Reagan's bedroom. That's so creepy. And the creepiest part to me is, you know how in demon movies, the birds are always like hitting the window? Yes. So apparently the director came out and said that it caught on fire because a bird had flown into one of the circuit boxes. Oh my god. And that's what caused the fire. Yeah. So that's terrifying. And then there were some injuries. So Ellen Bernstein, there's a scene where she walks in on Reagan. We all know the scene. And she Reagan slaps her. Would that be the crucifix masturbation scene? That would that I think should not be called masturbation. That would be the one. And <laughs> and uh, she walks in and Reagan slaps her and she falls to the ground. And so she had basically a rig attached to her that somebody was pulling to pull her to the ground. And she said, you're pulling too hard. You're pulling okay. on me too hard. And so the director told the stuntman, you know, chill out, chill out, whatever. But then they, like, I guess she came out and said they exchanged a look. And the next time they did that scene, they yanked her back so hard that she actually was in pain. She was writhing in pain and screaming on the ground because she really thought she broke something. And that's the scene. That's what the the footage that they used was her actually in this immense amount of pain. And after she was screaming and realized they were panning in on her face, <laughs> she was like, get this camera the fuck away from me. So the authenticity of this movie, I mean, I bet just filming it was terrifying, 
the in a lot of the scenes, Reagan's bedroom, she's actually breathing. Okay. And you can see all their breath. And they actually refrigerated the room. That was real cold. That was not like special effects. They didn't have the CGI that they have nowadays. So that was real. It was actually that cold in the room. And so they constantly had to keep like putting more and more blankets on her. Oh, poor girl. Yeah, she was a badass in this. <laughs> she took a lot for this movie. So the film took over a year to complete, which is a pretty long time for a film. There were a few deaths surrounding The Exorcist. So the actor that played the drunken director. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. He died in post-production. And then the actress that played Father Karras's mother passed away in post-production as well. She was actually a real Greek citizen that they found randomly in a restaurant. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Like, at least I guess she had her five minutes of fame. Yeah, she did, and she put, and it's just it sucks to be to pass away in post production and not even see. True, you know. But her family gets to see her. That's true. In a horrible, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Blair's grandfather passed away during the filming of this. That's sad. Yeah, and then the man that played Father Marin, the first day of shooting, his brother died. Oh my God. Yeah. And he continued. Yeah, he wow. continued. He kept going. And then the actors that played Karis, his son was almost killed by a motorcycle that hit him. So just all these oh weird things. And it wasn't even happening directly to the actors necessarily. It was people to around people them. People around them, their family. Yeah. And then another injury that happened was while she was filming one of the possession scenes where she's like writhing around on the bed and it's throwing her forward and backward and forward and backward. She was also on a rig and the rig broke and she really injured her back and that was another instance of her screaming in pain that, that was, was real yeah that oh was kept God. in the original in the original cut of the movie and then after the movie poor little linda blair this sweet innocent child that just portrayed this horrible demonic figure received so many death threats that the studio hired bodyguards and she really? had yeah she had those bodyguards on her for 6 months oh my God, people, yeah. it's a movie. She's like a 13 or 14 year old girl. But this movie, people believed that it was like truly cursed. Like the the fabric of the film itself, they thought was cursed. They thought if you watch this movie, you were inviting this demonic presence into your life as well. That's um, kind of how you feel. That is, I'm <laughs> like, I don't even know why I have this movie. And now I have all three of them chilling in my house. <laughs> And I hate watching it. I'll bring you the book. We'll just Mm-mm. continue. Nope, I don't need a shrine to that. <laughs> uh, the Mercedes McCambridge, yeah. she was the one that did the voice of Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. So when you hear Reagan talking in the creepy voice, that was Mercedes McCambridge. And this is probably the most horrific thing that happened surrounding one of these actresses or actors. But years later, in 1987, her son murdered his wife and children and then took his own life. Oh my god. Yeah, so a lot of people thought these people were touched by this evil that they spent over a year creating and putting out into the world. It's just interesting. And I'm sure that this happens a lot with with movies, especially back then when people were just starting to break those molds Mm -hmm. of horror movies. I mean, now... You get possession movies, and they're bending backwards, and they're... Ugh, contortion, gross. Yeah, and they're also throwing up, and their eyes are also horrifying. But the possession and the biblical part of that is in every single one of these movies, no one bats an eye anymore. Right. This was the start. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
And just like, you know, Halloween became a phenomenon with mm-hmm. slashers, this really set the stage for possession movies. And also one of the, I think the American premieres, I was watching an interview with Ellen Bernstein and she, people were fainting, walking out. They had puke bags at these showings. And my own mother said that she went to see it. And she, I just talked to her about this too because I told her we were doing this episode. She went to see it. She didn't get through the movie. And as a 17 year old, she slept with her parents. Really? For a, and a, like amount of time that was no, wow. yeah. So and she still has never finished it. When did she walk out? What part? Does I, she, she remember? I don't. I think she's at the point where she's like, I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it. Because she said when your dad would watch it, I would leave the room. Oh. <laughs> so she's never gotten through it, and it just traumatized her. And I think that was everyone because especially how Christian the United States is mm-hmm. by percentage, mm-hmm. you know, seeing this demonic possession, like it did with me when I was younger, brought up in a religion, mm-hmm. that's horrifying and it's real. It's not just like, you know, something that's on the screen and you're entertained. This was real to a lot of people. So they were fainting, puking, screaming. And Ellen Bernstein said she saw this woman walking out of the theater and she was very woozy and she passed out in the hallway and Ellen Bernstein followed her because she noticed and nobody was attending to her. Okay. And so this woman wakes up horrified from this movie that she passed out and Chris McNeil is staring oh at her. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Horrible. I mean, at least it wasn't Linda Blair. Right. But you're watching this movie that has scared you to the point of passing out. And one of the characters is standing above is you. Is standing right above you. Oh, my God. Which, of course, the woman screamed. And, well, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a whole scene. And then there was one mo- uh, woman that sued Warner Brothers and won a settlement because she thought the subliminal messages in the movie caused her to pass out. She broke her jaw when she passed out. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this was an intense movie. It still is, but especially back then. God, I wish I... I I wonder if I would have been one of those people that walked out, honestly. It wouldn't surprise me if I was one of those people that just left that movie. Yeah, probably. With with how I feel about it right now, but being a little bit more desensitized to it. With all these other movies over the years. I I bet I would have walked out of it. Speaking of the uh, religious aspect of it, the the thing that really got to me, first of all, is I am a Catholic. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a scene in the movie where Helen Bernstein is so mad that there's a crucifix under her daughter's pillow. And I'm sitting there like, she's possessed. You want a crucifix under her pillow. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) And now as I'm older, I understand she's freaked out because she's an atheist. Mm -hmm. Like, I would be freaked out too. You don't believe in this at all, and now it's just sitting under your daughter's pillow? And just think of the fact of an atheist. How scared you must be for your child to go to a priest to do this exorcism. Well, she's absolutely desperate. You know, she's been to, Reagan's been through horrific treatments. You know, I remember you saying to me, the needle in the neck. Oh my God, the needle in the neck. It's so gross. And blood spurting. Yeah, just to be a parent and put your child through that and getting no answers. I would go to, I don't have children, but if I did, just knowing what I would do for my dogs, (laughs) I would go to the ends of the earth to, to save them, especially if their soul is at stake. And you really believe that? Absolutely. So I don't, and also to be an atheist and 
not believe these things. I think she might have thought she was safe from these things. Right. Yeah. Why, absolutely. Would, Why would that it come after you? Yeah. Also, if my kid ever, and I'm sure there was a different mindset of Ouija boards, or maybe they weren't very talked about in the 70s, but or the 40s in Robbie's case. If my kid was like, look at this, Captain Howdy's talking to me on this board, I would mm-hmm. be like, we're going to preach right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't care if there are no symptoms of possession. We are going to a priest right now, and we're taking the board, and you're going to sit in a bathtub, and we're going to just fill the room with smoke, and they're going to exercise <laughs> you. That way, any puking of pea soup that you do is just all contained. Gross. I would just get that shit done early. Exorcism was actually a relatively unknown term before this movie. Yeah. It was kind of one of those hidden things in, you know, the the skeleton in the Catholic closet. We just don't talk about it. It's something that's still done, but we just, oh, God, ignore it. It's kind of embarrassing. But nobody even really knew what it was until this book came out. Now, anytime a kid can't be diagnosed, they're like, demon. Right. It's just everywhere. And it's interesting to me that the, the demon in the movie, Pazuzu, that we know now, mm-hmm. that name is never actually even spoken in the movie. It's interesting that you say that because I've always, like, known that the demon is Pazuzu, but when you told me that, I was like, I probably knew it because I was so interested in the movie, I heard it, but I honestly don't know how I knew that. Mm -hmm. You just had that knowledge. It's like one of those Mandela things. Like, I just knew it. (laughs) It's in the book. It's, like, almost the first couple pages of the book. It's just sitting right there. And it's in movie two. I don't know Mm. if it's in movie three. I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't remember them specifically saying Pazuzu. But the iconic Exorcist 1, Pazuzu's name is never even spoken. It's just known as Captain Howdy. Oh my god, and the Pazuzu face. Oh, just the face. And when it's flashing... See, that gets you more, whereas Reagan's face gets me more. So I guess the inspiration behind all her prosthetics and makeup was she was going to get wounds and cuts on her face. Yeah. And they wanted it to look gangrene, I guess? Yeah, the, uh, the... crucifix masturbation if we have to call it that scene Mm -hmm. um the director just thought of an idea of what if she already had blood on her face what if she was in there cutting her face before she was cutting you know lower and what (laughs) what if it got gangrenous and it just got worse and worse and worse throughout the film and that's what's going on with her face it just gets worse and worse and worse as this is setting in well not only was reagan's makeup impressive but Father Marin's. I didn't even know yeah. this until today. You Father, told me. Father Marin was actually only 44 years old at the making of this he film. He looked 80. They <laughs> aged him up. It was, I want to say it was like three hours worth of makeup every single day. And that's what Reagan did too, I think. Of him sitting up just Linda to Blair. age him up. Like the demon makes sense. That takes right. a long time just to age him up. That's crazy because he yeah. looked it. He looked 80. Well, when he showed up in the second one, I even told you, I was like, they got an actor that looked, looked just so like young. him. And you right. were like... Yeah, that's him. I didn't even know Yeah, that they aged him. I just thought they got an old-ass actor that did a really good job. Yeah, he was actually... Marin was there for six weeks to do his last 13 minutes in New York. Just sitting there, waiting. Six weeks. Think of how long that movie took. I would not want to be watching filming of that movie any longer. And he's longer. just sitting there watching her walk past in her demon makeup all the time for six weeks. There are pictures <laughs> of them, like, talking to her and oh. her smiling. And I'm just, I could, even watching Linda Blair in interviews and The Exorcist, too, when she's beautiful and, you know, I just, it just really gets to me. I can 
just makeup, all the makeup and prosthetics on her face and my head. And it's, you know, like I said, she's beautiful. She's a beautiful adult too, but I just see all of that makeup and prosthetics. Absolutely. It's, it's terrifying. The Catholic guy who actually wrote the book on exorcism, he was there every single day of filming that exorcism scene. Because, really? Yeah, because the director actually wanted to make sure he wasn't going overboard. That's great. And that director really cared about that, too. Obviously. Absolutely because he did. got the doctors and the priests, but mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. Every single day he sat there. That's amazing. And that's really cool, too, because I would never... So that must mean that's what he would have done in a real exorcism kind of situation. Yes. I mean, the cracked ceiling and the the bed floating, things like that's what he wanted to make sure he wasn't going overboard on. And this priest is like, no, you're right. So that's what real exorcisms are like. That's why this movie is so scary. Yes. Because seeing that, I don't think I would ever be able to get over that. Mm -hmm. Let's say you got possessed. Mm -hmm. I love you mm -hmm. so much. Leave me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know if I... I'm sure I would find some sort of strength when it's somebody you love, but man, imagine afterwards, for years afterwards, I would just look at my child or whomever it was in my life and be like, are you a demon? <laughs> you can tell me. We can do this again. But I would just constantly be like, are you possessed? No? We good today? Okay. And I would always be on edge. I would just yeah, be on absolutely. Xanax forever. Oh my God. <laughs> I would never... Be this, I don't think I, obviously you're not going to be the same, but especially if your child has no memory of it, like Reagan mm -hmm. doesn't remember anything that happened to her, and neither did Robbie, the real, you know, victim of this, didn't have any recollection of this, and I, you have to go about it, you don't want to re-traumatize your child or make them feel any different. No, absolutely not. So you can't act any differently, but that would be so difficult. This director was so legit in how he did this he made sure the the voices and noises that are coming from Reagan as she's possessed are actually from a real exorcism of a boy in Rome mm -hmm. and then when she's actually exorcised at the end it's a group of pigs being led to slaughter that's that's the noise he used and poor Mercedes McCambridge she smoked three packs of cigarettes a day three packs a day to sound raspy and spooky. to sound raspy like that he was just so over the top, and it worked for this movie. Uh, yeah. Can't do that nowadays. No. Like, no. No, you no, can't. <laughs> Which is, I mean, you shouldn't be able to. Right? Some of the things, like you said, he punched someone to get them to cry. Yeah. <laughs> because they had to do that take over and over because it was he wasn't emotional enough. Nope. So he just slugged him. Yeah. <laughs> and made him cry. He's like, if you're not going to cry, I'm going to make you cry. <laughs> and so he just punched him. Yeah. That's a lawsuit today. Right. <laughs> but it made for a damn good movie. The director actually even talked about using a real exorcism in court today to try and get somebody off. It would never work. And I found that fascinating because isn't that exactly what they do in Exorcism and Emily Rose? Yeah, because she dies and the priest is yeah. being charged with her death. That's fascinating that the, the guy who basically started the exorcism movie is like, no, there's no way that could happen. And then somebody was finally like, yeah, it actually could. And that's probably the next scariest possession movie is Exorcism of Emily I Rose. agree completely. And there have been some decent ones that have come out, you know, between the 70s and now. But the Exorcism of Emily Rose really stands out in my head. Obviously, The Exorcist. 
I just can't say enough good things about this director. I mean, this was a time yeah. when movies took precedent over money, obviously, because yeah. this director, Ellen Bernstein, wasn't even wanted. They had another actress waiting in the wings, and this director didn't like her. But he fought and fought and fought, and eventually he won and got Ellen Bernstein. Karis, they actually had another actor already ready and paid for Karis's position. And the director found him, and he was like, mm, no, this guy's way better. And he, he got the studio to pay this other man off and hire another actor. That is just proof that movies, no offense, what were better than when they weren't being made purely for money. Yeah, well, and that also shows the faith that the studio had in William Peter Blatty's novel yes. and the script. They must have known, Warner Brothers must have been like, this is going to be a unprecedented movie and said okay whatever you want it's done absolutely i mean the music I, i'm just gonna say this for all horror movies but especially this one the music was on point he researched someone that he really wanted and got him and he really tried he didn't worry about the money he just got who he wanted yeah music in all 70s horror first of all was amazing agreed but it was definitely great in this he used real things i mean we've already talked about the hospital that reagan's in but even the mental institution that karis's mother is in that's a real ward those are real mental patients standing there when they walk up to karis and they grab his collar that's a real mental patient that's really? doing that yes mm -hmm. The scene where <laughs> Karis gets the split pea soup all over him, that's real. Like, they were, you know, they'll say that it's a malfunctioning thing, but the director kind of told him to move it up his face. It was supposed to land on his chest. It got him in the face and scared him, and that I reaction bet. is real. And also, I know it's just pea soup, but the fact that it just came out of someone, like, that, yeah. who actually was Linda Blair's stunt double. Yes. Because they hooked up this basically like projectile like pipe thing in mm -hmm. her mouth and there was somebody working mm -hmm. it and just people. launched it out of her mouth yeah the scene where reagan and chris are just talking in the bed just laying there she's putting her to bed and they're just talking that mother-daughter scene that is so touching that was actually a genuine scene yeah they had done everything else in this movie so far that was one of the last scenes that they did and they actually genuinely cared about each other. I'm sure. Especially after what a taxing, emotionally and physically taxing movie this was. And everyone being so protective of Linda Blair. I'm sure that became like a kind of a surrogate film mother for her. Absolutely. I just love how the doctors in this movie, like nobody believes in possession. And even the doctors have come to their wits end and mm -hmm. they even go, have you ever thought about an exorcism? They're like, this girl is crazy. Let's go somewhere else. We That's cannot help you. Yeah. What was the scariest scene in the book? The scariest scene in the book was that freaking spider walking down the stairs. That was cut out of the original. It was because cut it was out of too the scary, right? Yes. Yeah. Throughout the movie, she just becomes more and more possessed, and I think it's fascinating. Just from an old wives' tale that I know, it it, it hasn't been noted anywhere that I've read up on, but an old wives' tale that I know is that if you lay on your face and while you're sleeping, then in, if you die in your sleep, you're going to go to hell. And if you lay on your back and you're facing up, you're going to go to heaven if you die in your sleep. And if you watch it throughout the film, she actually turns. Like she's laying on her back and then she's laying on her side and then she's laying on her stomach Interesting. as she gets more and more possessed. Mm. But then she crawled down the stairs. In the book, though, you said that 
she was following Sharon. Oh my God, she was following Sharon. And she's like licking at her heels. And she, every time Sharon stops, she stops. No. That's my biggest fear <laughs> in life. Like oh. when I walk down a hall and now I'm like, what's that behind me? Is there something behind me? Oh God, what's that? Okay. Well, now you're going to picture how I picture Reagan standing in my hallway or peeking over the couch at me. You're going to picture her walking down the hallway. Oh, no. At you. No. Yeah. I hate it. I can't get up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water anymore. It just doesn't work out. That scene did it for you? It did it. It did it. Even in the morning. You know, I'm waking up. The sun is up. No, it's still there. Mm -mm. The Exorcist, obviously, is a fantastic film, and we can't talk enough about how good everything about it was. Mm -hmm. The acting, the direction, the production, the special effects, the makeup, the music. Um... <sighs> Oof, we gotta talk about this one though. The Exorcist yeah. 2, The Heretic. Yeah, the, you know, just worst movie that just ever. So, William Peter Blatty had nothing to do with this movie. None. Uh, this was done by a director named John Borman who did Deliverance. Yep. And, and that's basically his claim to fame. And yeah. uh, while I enjoy Deliverance, if your claim to fame is that one movie, I don't know. I can't yeah. expect great things from you. Well, he didn't like The Exorcist, right? He no, didn't. he didn't. He was actually high. <laughs> they wanted him to do the original Exorcist. They wanted him to be the director. Glad he didn't. And he turned it down because he didn't like the script. And then he came back and basically, to me, I just feel like it's plain jealousy. And it did well, and he got mad and thought he could do better. And by doing better, he did way, way worse. Which is unfortunate because they got Linda Blair back for this movie. They did. But and she refused to wear the demon makeup. Like, I appreciate Linda Blair coming back. I do. Yeah. But if you're going to come back, come back all the way. Yeah. you got to wear the demon makeup or just choose a different storyline. Yeah. Well, so this movie, basically, the story is Reagan is now seeing a therapist. And the therapist thinks that she is repressing what happened to her because of the death of Father Marin. She right. thinks it was too traumatic for Reagan to deal with. And she also thinks that Reagan had something to do with killing this man, and she doesn't believe that Reagan was possessed, mm -hmm. is from what I took out of the movie. None of this movie is super clear, first of all. None. It's very... It has, it's you a movie can be, that doesn't know what it is. Exactly. And so you've got this therapist working with Reagan, which I made some notes and had some questions about. First of all... I get putting your kid in therapy after all that happened. I would put my kid in therapy if they had been through right. something traumatic. Even if they didn't remember it, I would probably just put them in therapy as, you know, we go to see doctors, you mm -hmm. know, go see a therapist, make sure their mind is okay. That way somebody's watching them for odd behaviors. So I don't disagree with that. But what I think was really weird is at the end of The Exorcist, Chris is relieved that Reagan doesn't remember anything about it. Mm-hmm. And she's moving to protect Reagan from this and getting them into a new environment. And they're moving on with their lives. But she clearly knows because she says it, oh, I was possessed by a demon. Mm -hmm. Why? I would never just, maybe um, if they were older at some point, but I wouldn't tell my child that. Say, no, you were really sick and we got yeah. you better. And I think that her knowing she was possessed by a demon it just kind of defeats the whole ending to The Exorcist where she's... Where she doesn't remember anything. Yeah, yeah. Everything is back to normal and her life is going to move on just like Robbie's did. Right. He went and worked for NASA, retired, was... Really? Yeah. And 
it wasn't rehashed to my to my knowledge mm-hmm. it was never rehashed and so she's seeing this therapist who's trying to get her through this possession phase of her life which i didn't like that first of all and then there's this priest comes in and first of all there's a scene in the beginning where this priest is just he's going to do an exorcism okay. of this woman in south america mm-hmm. and she is some sort of healer and he stands there and she's not even doing anything that terrifying She's just no, she's not screaming, and you know they're holding her back, and she's making a scene. But he just stands there and looks at her, and then there are a bunch of candles for some reason, <laughs> and she grabs one and lights herself on fire, and he just stands there. And I'm like, Father Marin never would have let that happen. <laughs> you need to grow up. That's what you do. So you've got this priest that didn't do anything, and he somehow comes into it. So I guess. The Catholic Church is questioning Father Marin because they found some notes about his exorcism and he thinks that these people are being possessed because they have a higher level of intelligence than we do and they're Mm -hmm. almost telepathic and they're healing and he thinks that that's why they're getting targeted by these demons and so the church is modernizing and they don't want to acknowledge these kind of witchcrafty things. So they want his death investigated and that's where this father comes in okay and he wants to talk to reagan about this exorcism that she experienced that she supposedly doesn't remember yeah what are you going to talk to her about at that point right and so they have this machine (laughs) that's a strobe light but basically yeah exactly and they connect their consciousness and there's one scene where they bring back reagan killing father marin Mm -hmm. but it is not linda blair and it is not original footage, and it is no. just not Reagan. Makeup is horrible, and yeah. then there's almost like this sexual tone to it with her laying there with her leg. It, it, I don't know. I hated that whole scene. Yeah, and also it shows the demon basically as a spirit going in and clenching Father Marin's heart and mm-hmm. stopping it, physically holding it and stopping it. Yes. Why couldn't he have just had a heart attack? He did have a heart attack I know. in the book. That's what I'm saying. Like, That's just what's let, horrible. Let that happen. Yes. Because it was a fine plot point. This He already yes. was sick and struggling. Yeah. And so it wouldn't be that off base for this exorcism, this final exorcism, to kill him. Right. But they had to take it and ruin that, too. Yes. And on the subject of this movie not knowing what it is, there's some really... Sharon is back. Yep. And... She tells this new priest, she left the family for two years. Mm -hmm. And she came back because she was haunted by what happened to Reagan. Rightly so. (laughs) I would have left, you know. But she said she only feels right when she's with Reagan. And so she came back, which is weird. So this priest, Father Lamont and Sharon, go back to the home. But this director, I guess, couldn't get rights to the set they, or anything. He could not. They actually had to choose a different set of stairs and a different outdoor of the house to film because he couldn't get rights to the filming locations. Then maybe don't do it. I agree. We'll talk about The Exorcist 3 in a minute, which was able to be much... William Peter Blatty came back completely for that one. He did. But this film was everywhere. The priest and Reagan connect in her subconscious and her dreams. She basically says, call me by my dream name, which is Pazuzu, Mm -hmm. which is the name of the demon. And this priest 
wants to find this boy in Africa that Father Marin had previously exercised Pazuzu out of. And Pazuzu basically tells this priest, this is the only person that is able to resist me or has any knowledge or power on how to resist me. Mm -hmm. So what did the demon do? Showed him where the dude was. Why would you do that? As a demon, you know, there's a power play aspect there. Why would you show this person the only person that could, you know, beat you? Right. Just A demon wouldn't take do that. you right to them. And there's no reason in the movie for him to. Mm-hmm. Other than, oh, this is how you can save Reagan. But why would the demon want to save Reagan? Right. And is she really even possessed? You, we don't know. It says she know. is, but it's only when it's she's in this machine or she's dreaming mm-hmm. and she can feel what's happening to this priest when he's not there like the my notes here the fuck is this strobe light don't do reagan if you can't get it right the demon squeezed his heart what the fuck <laughs> um there's a scene where there's a fire at this mental mental facility for children mm-hmm. And they just let them all walk around in the parking lot. <laughs> These are like mentally ill just children wander. with severe diseases. There you go. They're just chilling in the parking lot. There are like a couple nurses around like, come on, kids. No. One of them's going to run away and you're going to lose a kid. So just the plot was not strong at all. I mean, there was some Father Mary backstory in Africa, which was fine. They had, you know, the original actor, which Linda Blair and Father Mary came back and Sharon came back. Yep. I think that was about it. I think that was it. They didn't have the music rights. There are some weird, screamy... The music is the most annoying thing ever. Yeah. And they have music in there that some goes with a drama and some goes with a thriller. Some is kind of horror movie. And then there's this weird scene when Richard Burton and Linda Blair are on the train. And it's like love story music. What is that about? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just have so many issues with this movie. I guess Reagan, so this, she goes to see this therapist at this facility for children. Mm-hmm. And there's this girl there that is autistic that has never spoken. Right. And Reagan is able, it has this scene where Reagan just looks at her and concentrates and she starts speaking. Yep. And you're like, okay, that was weird. Was it a coincidence? Was it the demon getting into the little girl? Was Reagan talking to her with her mind? And you come to find out. That she's like telepathic. Yeah. But it doesn't ever come out and say that. It just says that Pazuzu is going after those that have healing characteristics about them or right. are healers. Darth Vader's in this? He is. <laughs> and Mufasa. And Mufasa. <laughs> um, he played a character, he played the boy in Africa that Father Marin exercised and then ended up being an adult, and he was the only adult that was able to. Resist Pazuzu, basically. Right. And because he learned something about the locusts and the wings, which had I, I don't right. I don't understand that part at all. Well, Pazuzu is the king of the wind demons or the air demons, okay. and so he's the one that basically causes locust swarms. Right. So this I I guess they have him studying locusts because that's how he figured out. Right. But it still doesn't. But what's with the wings? What's with the rubbing of the wings and then the demon thing? And I don't I don't understand how that has to do with anything else. I don't know. And honestly, 
real quick. I mean, we're just going to kind of breeze through this movie because it was just not... I have a lot of notes, but it's just not worth really getting into and, and spending a lot of time on because it was just bad. Sharon set herself on fire in the end, yeah, which makes you think she was somehow controlled or possessed by Pazuzu, but it never talks about it. Yeah, I even looked up like a synopsis online that made me understand a little bit more. Doesn't it just says Sharon sets herself on fire? Why? Yeah, I don't know. But when they did the anniversary edition of the book, there's actually a scene that literally says, don't trust Sharon, but it, it's not in the original book. So that almost makes me worry that they put that scene in the redo of the book to make you think The Exorcist 2 was okay, which everyone has said it doesn't have anything else to do with the rest of no. the movies. So It was a shame that Linda Blair was in it, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I think this was a discredit to her ability and her first performance yeah at the end scene they go back to the dc house and the uh, priest is with reagan mm -hmm. but he's becoming controlled and seduced by pazuzu and when i say pazuzu there's like a, <laughs> there's like pazuzu <laughs> pazuzu did i say pazuzu Okay, but there's... And so she's not going to get in demon makeup. We've established this. Um, so they basically have a double of her in the room mm -hmm. on the bed. Mm -hmm. So you've got Reagan standing in the corner kind of cowering. And there's like this demon Reagan that just looks like Reagan on the bed. And, and she's being sexy and seductive. And it's father, so come here and kill her kill her for me and so he goes after her but you've got this fucking why <laughs> did we have to sexualize reagan i just don't she's beautiful and i'm not she saying she's she can own it but that you know as the demon and just it was just really weird like you said it was like they had romance music and i have no idea what it was yeah but, i mean it was written five times while they were filming that. that's why i didn't know what it was absolutely and the actors are only as good as their direction Yes. Linda Blair is not a bad actress. She didn't become a bad actress. And I'm oh. sure, I mean, Sharon did great in the first movie. What I don't know that actress's name. I don't remember. No. But she did fine. She did. This one? Not. Why did she have to come to the door one time? Oh, my God. I, I know what you're going to say, and I was wondering the same she thing. She was in the shower, and she's wet, and she puts on this sheer robe, and it's just like, she opens the door, and she's tits. Like, yes! You know, why was that needed? You don't have to reduce us down to needing to see tits to be entertained. Yes, exactly. And, you know, if there's a place for that in movies, there's a place. But it just seemed really, because it was a priest at her door. It just And she didn't care. She was just, I don't know. It was just really weird. And I feel like it, it was a very pandering movie. And I don't appreciate being pandered to. They took the exorcist name mm -hmm. because they thought people would go see it. And then it didn't do well anyways at the box office. Nope. I hate to recommend watching it. But if you're going to get into the exorcist world, well. it's in there. But do other things while you're watching it. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, the whole movie, they never mentioned Karis at all. The one who actually gave his life to say Reagan. Not an old man who had a heart attack in the room. The one who actually took on the demon and jumped out a window to save this little girl. He's never even mentioned the whole movie. And you would think that Reagan would mention him at some point. Yeah. In therapy or... It's almost creepy that they never mentioned him. Yeah, it is. And I hate that for him. <laughs> he right? really got, like... Yeah. The shaft 
in this movie. The shaft. Take that out. <laughs> but they they do make up for that in Exorcist Three. They do Exorcist Three. So this, so the Exorcist Two is in 1977. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist was in 1973, so they're pretty close together. We come back to The Exorcist 3 in 1990. Okay. Is when this movie comes out. William Peter Blatty wrote this. Yes, he also directed it. And it was based on his book, Legion. Yes, it was. So that's why it's good. Yes. The Exorcist 3 is good. If you want to watch two good Exorcist World movies, watch The Exorcist and watch The Exorcist 3. Yes. Because it just pretends 2 doesn't happen. Absolutely. Kind of like Halloween did. <laughs> right. When they did the remake. They just pretend Halloween 2 didn't happen. It just never existed in the world, in this world. And it immediately felt like what I wanted 2 to yes. feel like. It opens with the stairs and the mm-hmm. theme song. And because it's... The music is back. Yeah, it's all William Peter Blatty's intellectual property. So he can do whatever, whatever he wants mm-hmm. with this. So it really... and. What I really liked about this movie is that it brought back so many characters. It brought back Lieutenant Kinderman. Yep, it, it was a, It's a different actor because the actor who had originally played Kinderman died the year before. But yeah. George C. Scott is amazing in everything and he, he does. Yeah, you wouldn't. Honestly, I was watching it and I just kind of, if I didn't know it, you just kind of thought that's he aged. Yeah, absolutely. Period. And uh, Father Dyer is back. Different different actor, but yes, yep, Father, Father Dyer, Dyer is back. back. So all of these characters are coming back. And who was also back, and it is the original actor, is Father Karras. He is back. Yep. Which, it's hard to talk about without spoiling, because everyone's seen The Exorcist. But if you haven't seen The Exorcist 3, I definitely think you should. Um, but we will probably spoil a little bit of it. Yeah. Just to give you fair warning. We both love true crime. And yes. You know, stories of murder and, you know. Mm -hmm. So this brings in a crime aspect because it focuses on the lieutenant and a demonic aspect. Yes. Because this whole thing is circled around this Gemini killer and these gruesome murders. And right in the beginning, there's a kid decapitated. His head is replaced by the head of a Jesus statue. And he was crucified by rowing oars. And... The worst part about it is they talk about how he was injected with the solution so that he was completely conscious but mm, totally paralyzed so during all of it. So it starts off gruesome. Yes, immediately. It does. And I love that I don't have to wait around for something to happen because The Exorcist is a great movie, but it does it's slow. It's, it's the there's beginning. a lot of talking mm-hmm. and figuring things out. This one No. Right off the bat it starts um and then there's a priest killed in a confession box. What do you call that? Confessional box. Yeah. I'm sorry for my... Yeah. That's what it's called. Okay. <laughs> and then right after that, there's a priest killed in a confessional box. Mm-hmm. By this, all you hear is this old woman voice talking about how much she loves blood and can't get enough oh, of it. So creepy. Yeah. So it really just gets off to a good foot. <laughs> it really, really does. Right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's actually a bunch of different you know people that pop up in the movie which was pretty cool there's a dream sequence which has fabio and larry king and samuel L. jackson are randomly <laughs> in it and then if there's any buffy nerds that are listening to this at all principal flutie is in it he's a hospital administrator and it was amazing i see on your notes that you've got his name and a bunch of like exclamations and hearts next yes to it. <laughs> because i love buffy and i was so excited when that happened and 
the whole time you're trying to figure out they think they've caught this killer and then yes. he resurfaces mm-hmm. and father dyer ends up being murdered in yeah. this hospital so most of the movie takes place in this the hospital, hospital. Mm-hmm. and it's a general health hospital but it also has this wing of um, mentally ill patients patients with dementia mm-hmm. mentally weak feeble can't speak can't really move those kinds of things right and father dyer's in there because he's got like a it doesn't really ever explain why but he's got a cough or does it i don't remember i don't remember he's in there it's like he's fine. And I feel then... like it explains it, but honestly, I don't know. Well, I know sadly. that the uh, lieutenant visits him because they were friends every year yep. on the anniversary of Reagan's exorcism. They meet up and they go see a movie, yep. which calls back to the original. And Father Dyer is murdered and his blood supply is completely emptied and neatly put into all these little containers. It's so creepy. And not a drop awesome. was spilled. And the name of the movie that they had just seen together... It's a Wonderful Life mm-hmm. was written in blood above his bed. And so you've got this gruesome scene of this father being murdered. And his one of his good friends, the lieutenant, is like, we already caught this guy. Who is this? You know? And you find out that there's this patient that they have in isolation. Mm-hmm. And... The lieutenant walks in, mm-hmm. and he sees Karis. Yes, he does. God has a heart attack seeing Karis. Yep. One of the main attending physicians has this note card. I don't know if you remember this, but he has this note card, mm-hmm. and it's a script written down, and he's practicing it. And then the lieutenant walks in, and he recites it and says, There's a man in isolation that claims he's the Gemini killer. And you find out later that this man, mm-hmm. Father Karis, which we'll get into in a minute, made him do that to get the lieutenant to him. Really? Yeah, I don't know I if you remember that. I don't think I caught that. There's yep. a lot of things in here that you caught that I didn't, and I like that. There's red rose imagery everywhere. Yeah, that so, was like, if someone was going to die or was going, somebody was going to kill someone. They had a red rose somewhere, whether they were holding it or if it was in their room. Mm-hmm. So there was some of that stuff. And then this physician was pacing and reading this basically page that he was instructed to write down and basically repeat to the lieutenant word for word. So because the attending physician said that this man has a lot of detail about the Gemini killer's crimes, even though the Gemini killer was supposedly killed. Right. He was executed. In the, yeah, in the electric mm-hmm. chair. This person down there has a lot of information about these cases and enough to where the lieutenant goes down there and he walks in and it's father Karras mm-hmm. who supposedly died right while exercising Reagan McNeil 15 years earlier right so what happens is I guess Pazuzu left Reagan's body and they talk it's kind of unclear to me which demon this is I'm not sure if it's Pazuzu but it at least knows Pazuzu the so, and the writer of the book has stated that it is Pazuzu. Okay. So this is Pazuzu, and he moves into Karis, mm-hmm. but Karis dies. So you right. think it stops there. But he's talking about how Karis was pretty much dead because his brain lacked oxygen for so long. But this demon, Pazuzu, did all of this work to Karis's brain to basically resurrect it to give him a body. And so he spent a long time putting Karis's brain and body back together that's gross because he needed a body yeah and so 
I guess he was found with total amnesia, so Karis doesn't really come back, except a few times, mm-hmm. like at the end. So he's possessed by Pazuzu, and Pazuzu is possessing all of these mentally feeble or patients with Alzheimer's and dementia to do all of these killings for him. Mm-hmm. So talk, you talk about the decapitations, because <laughs> that seems to have really interested you. I, there are some of those deaths in horror movies that just stick with you because they're so good. And honestly, you never actually see the decapitation, but you see these big scissors that I assume more attendants have, but it actually literally is to cut heads and someone steals them. And you see him come out of a room and go after a nurse with them. And I'm sorry, it's just amazing. Like, and it's quick, too. Yes. You and don't see anything. It's not gruesome. There are several deaths in this where those shears or scissors, whatever, come into play. Yes. A bunch of people getting decapitated gruesomely. Mm-hmm. And you find out that Pazuzu is possessing these um, mentally feeble patients. Mm-hmm. Because he says, he eventually says, they're very easy to possess and control. Right. So he was sicking these poor dementia patients or mentally sick patients to do his dirty work and to commit these murders. Mm -hmm. And the demon monologues in this movie are so good. That actor did so good. And he's actually the voice of Chucky in Child's Play. See, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because they all kind of, a lot of these horror actors bounce around a little bit. Because he goes from Father Karras, his face and mm-hmm. likeness to this other man that was the Gemini killer. Right. So it switches back between their likenesses. And when he is as this Gemini killer that has been electrocuted already, he just talks to this lieutenant and the monologues are so good. Usually when it's just the camera on one character for so long, it's like okay, mm-hmm. got Move it. But I could have listened to this and watched this. It was spooky. I was uncomfortable, but in the best way. The demon monologues are so good. And poor little night shift nurse. She's trying so hard. She keeps going. She hears a noise, and she's at the night desk all by herself, and there's a security guard, and he walks away for some unknown reason. And she's like, okay, well, he's gone. I can't bring him with me, but the noise is creeping me out, and I got to go check on him because there's patients around. So she wanders down there, and then there's just, like, a jump scare scene, which really isn't important. And she goes back to the desk, and the night guard comes back, and she hears more noises. And the night guard wanders away again for some reason. Like, does he smoke every five seconds? I mean, where is he going? What is happening? I don't know. But then she wanders into this room all by herself, once again, knowing she shouldn't. You can see her being like, uh, maybe I shouldn't go in there, and... Then she walks out of the room, and the guy with the scissors comes after her to cut off her head. Right behind her. Yes, that poor little nurse. She tries so hard. I know. She learns from horror movies. She tried to get away with every horror movie cliche. She was like, (laughs) nope, I'm not going to be alone. But then that guard just kept leaving her, and she got got. He should get fired. He's the worst guard. I'm sure he did. (laughs) True. They got there the next day. Her body's probably just laying there. Yeah. So definitely see this movie. It's really complicated to try to explain in a short amount of time. Um, but there's also another exorcism scene. And there's there is. spooky contacts. And I hate it. So that exorcism scene actually wasn't even supposed to be in there. I don't oh, really? know if you knew that or mm-hmm. not. William Peter Blatty didn't have that in the book. 
20th Century Fox made him put that scene in there because they wanted the box office sales. That's why it feels a little out of place. That whole priest section, you that don't really whole, know anything about There's him. this random priest in yeah. this movie that doesn't really... His name is Father Morning. Yep. And he doesn't really do much except for he has come head to head with a demon before. Or yes. this demon... I think specifically, I, uh, there's not much he's an exorcist of some sort. Yeah. And so he goes into this room and he basically stops this demon from murdering somebody while yep. he comes in and he attempts to exorcise this demon. But you can tell. Yeah, it feels shoved in because it was. And it was it rushed. Wasn't supposed to be there. He failed. It had, they had actually finished filming everything. They were in post-production when 20th Century Fox told him to throw it in there. So it was just an afterthought. That's when movies started struggling. Yes. I mean, we both... Money. Yeah. When they said, you have to do this. When they started taking creative control because of money mm-hmm. is when movies start to suffer. Because I think there there have been a lot of instances in movies where they've had good directors and a good cast and, and the studio comes in and overrides it and Absolutely. just makes it a shit movie. Yes. This is not the first. They just want explosions and boobs yeah. and... Now, this is not a bad movie, but that no, scene not. was very... It's it, like, it could have stood on its own without an exorcism scene. Absolutely. And it just... But it was quick. The priest failed. It was quick. He threw it in there. He did what they wanted and moved on. Yeah. The creepiest part of this movie to me, and I'm sure you agreed with me, was the crawling on the ceiling. The mental patient. Oh my yeah. god, the crawling on the ceiling, and you're looking through the window, and it's all jittery and. Ugh. I was trying not to watch it. I kind of did one of those things where <laughs> did I. Did you look away? No, I saw it, but I was texting you where I was in the movie so you could like oh. warn me. So I was kind of like, doing one of those things coming. where I turn away, but I'm looking at the screen still. So I relied on you to be like, I was texting Chris, and I was like, "Is this it? Is this the scene?" <laughs> and uh, even with the decapitation scene, I was like. There's a shot, and it's a long hallway yeah. shot. This is it. And she yeah, was like, that's yeah, <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> so I know you and I are fascinated with horror movies, yeah. and one of our sick fascinations is also with serial killers. Yeah. And my serial killer fascination is Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. And this was actually one of his favorite movies. And Really? The more I watched it... The Exorcist 3? The Exorcist 3. Specifically 3. Specifically 3. Was one of his favorite movies. And the more I watched it, the more I sat there and thought, I wonder... uh, Now, there's no... There's no proof of any of this. There's nothing. I mean, he's dead. There's... You can't ask. But just curious to my mind, I wonder if he was so drawn to this movie because he felt possessed. He felt like the Gemini Killer. Maybe. Just I mean, his own thoughts. I mean, he said in interviews, he, he was very, not that it matters, because he did horrible things. Right. But he was remorseful, and most of them yeah. aren't. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I did that. What you gonna, you know? Right. Whatever. And a lot of those serial killers even have something that they call, you know, Ted Bundy called it the entity. Things like that. Yeah, something that I took mean, over. What they're, they did horrible things, but at the same time, it's interesting to think maybe they thought they were possessed. They definitely needed help. Absolutely, they did. <laughs> From someone. A priest, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a doctor. Luckily, they ended up being caught, so... Right. Prison, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely watch this movie if you're a fan of The Exorcist. I don't think you'll be disappointed. There were a few little things that I was like, okay, that was kind of weird. They, There's this really creepy nurse that they try to get you to think the whole time yeah. is involved, and she doesn't seem to be involved mm-hmm. at all. And But it's it's really good. There's flickering lights, and you kind of hear Reagan's laugh in one part from the original. So they do some things like that that are really cool. 
I will definitely keep this in my collection. I mean, yeah. when I watch horror movies every year now, The Exorcist 3 now that I've seen it, will be a part of that. Yeah. I know that we watched the show, and it was it was okay. Definitely watch season one. It, it ties in Reagan. Yeah, it does. Um, season two is kind of a throwaway. You don't it goes really need it. It was canceled after season two. Yes, it was. I think it was... I don't know if it was canceled before season two ended or what, but it was canceled at that point. I think uh, this is one of those shows that I feel like one season of it was really good Mm -hmm. and if they had kept going it may have been interesting because you've got demons but I think it would have gotten stale really quickly absolutely because there's only so much you can do with that storyline but the first season actually ties in so Reagan McNeil is the mom of this girl that gets possessed right so you get to see the family again and see that right. she's still and see struggling. How it affects everyone. Yeah, she's definitely still struggling with this, and she hates her mother. Yeah, very so, much so. Definitely, Fox did it. It's on Hulu, on demand. Watch it if you like The Exorcist. So that wraps up our review of The Exorcist, The Exorcist Two, The Exorcist Three, Season One of the show. I know that was a very short season one of the show, but it's just kind of an enjoyable thing to watch. It doesn't change anything about The Exorcist or anything like that. It just kind of dives into the family story. So thank you so much for listening to Episode Two. Be sure to join us next week because it creeps and leaps and crawls across the floor. Thank you for listening. Stay creepy.